0: Bernard Tobin here at the Ontario Certified Crop Advisors Conference in London, Ontario. Catching up now with uh, Dr. Aaron Wilson. He's an Ohio State climatologist, climate researcher. Uh, Aaron, thanks for stopping by. Ah, pleasure's all mine. Thank you, um, Aaron. Um, lots to digest from your conversations and your presentations today. I, I just want to dive in with some some statistics you had on Ontario and how climate has changed in Ontario. You know, from 1948 to 2016, probably set up our conversation here. You know, what have, we, what have we seen here? We're getting warmer, we're getting wetter. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, I think it's 1.3 degrees C warmer uh, is the linear trend over that period for Ontario uh, from 1948 to 2016. Uh, but we know that uh, all seasons uh, have warmed in this portion of, of, of the of North American continent here, uh, warming faster in the winter. So upwards of two degrees C over that period. Uh, a little bit less in, in other seasons, more like one to one and a half degrees C over that time. And again, it, it might not sound like a lot, right? But we're talking about long-term averages over a long period of time. And certainly, those those changes that we've seen are enough uh, to impact agriculture uh, across the province.
0: Yeah. And when you have that conversation, I mean, how do you assess the impact on agriculture that that early spring, the the wet? I mean, the fluctuations, the variability, the swings. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, I think a good way to do it's just the to think about the agricultural production cycle and then think about those trends that are happening locally in each of those seasons and what impacts those might have. So we know, for instance, more spring rain means what? It means it's a little harder to plant. You know, we've got smaller windows. I think that's overall growing kind of concern for much of uh, the agricultural belt across North America is shrinking windows to get that field work done. Uh, I think as we we head into the summertime, one of the things that we've seen creeping in from the south here uh, are more rapid oscillations towards drier conditions during the growing season in some areas uh, more often. So even in years where we can have a surplus of, of rainfall, a surplus of precipitation, we could still have those short, intense drought periods. And of course, if you don't have the rain at the right time, then you're not going to get your grain fill. And then as we head back into the fall with increasing water, uh, you know, in terms of impacts, and you think about the challenges to planting, uh, those that are interested in cover crops getting covers in the ground, uh, thinking about the, the different conditions we have from the water, as far as the temperature, temperatures go, you know, you think about winter impacts, winter's getting a lot warmer means opportunities for more pests and disease potential, especially as we head into the future. But certainly seeing those impacts in terms of uh, uh, more pests, more more uh, pressures there, uh, chaotic swings. Again, we talk about these extremes in, in temperature. You can get early season warmth right out of winter and early spring, break dormancy in some of our, our crops that can obviously pose damage later on in April and May, uh, when we in, even in the first of June in some locations, right, where we still see those freezes uh, occurring. So these are all things to consider, a lot to consider, I think, uh, from a farming perspective. And the the
0: weather often doesn't make it easy. (laughs) That's for sure. Now, your presentation obviously is entitled today, Crop Adaptation to Extreme Weather. Um, I guess the the big word is adaptation. And, uh, you know, where does that start for farmers? And I think you you kicked it off with the point that, hey, it's very individual. It's going to vary from farmer to farmer, region to region you know, our uh, locality to locality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, every landowner is different, right? So you have different uh, things. You have different operations. You have different equipment. You have different topography. You have different um, Even even your your decisions, your culture, resources, education, all these things matter. And when we think about it, we're really looking at the vulnerability of these individual sites and we assess what are the potential impacts, right? So in a a region, we can make these summaries that, yeah, it's getting warmer, it's getting wetter in these seasonal changes, but what in terms of your operation and what you grow and your your rotations, you know, what impact will, you know, those stressors have on your operation? That's really, speaks to the potential impacts, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, If you think about adaptive capacity, how resilient is your system? Can it withstand these extremes? Uh, Do you have good, quality soil that can perhaps help with water capacity and water storage? Or uh, do, you, do you have a good uh, program for weeds that's really going to help combat uh, the, the kind of propensity for more weeds uh, moving into the region? That's what we talk about in terms of adaptive capacity. And so how we measure the vulnerability at a particular location depends on both the potential impacts and the adaptive capacity there at the local level.
0: What about, um, you know, we talk about hort- hort- the impact on horticulture, right? You know, those, those, those earlier sort of spring weather conditions that can break dormancy and stuff like that. How? What do you tell horticultural people these days?
1: Yeah, that's very difficult. It's a difficult challenge. I think um, a lot of it could be, you know, come down to, I think, um, hybrids and genetics and some of the technology and the research that's going on to help help with that. Um, I do think that it's, a, I think overall it's a, it's a big challenge, right? How much risk? It's always ultimately also down to how much risk are you willing to assume, you know, if you get eight good years out of 10, is that good enough for your operation? We face some of those challenges uh, just south of here in Ohio from, you know, grape industry that's really booming there south of the lake that, you know, we're asking those similar questions and but if you're if you're growing a species of peach, right, and we're only getting like two out of ten years where you're actually getting a crop, you, you have to ask the hard question about switching, right? Switching operations. Do you move to a different uh, Operations, you move to a different crop that you're growing. I think, and those are very tough questions, and something I don't envy. I mean, obviously, that, those are more tough. Those are tougher questions than, hey, how's the weather expected to change?
0: One thing you mentioned really was, you know, understanding and adapting to that water cycle. Yeah. You know more water, droughts, I mean, it's irrigation, it's harvesting water. Yeah, so you might think,
1: okay, we're, we're really in a water-rich region compared to parts of Western North America or other parts of the world, so why would we need to deal with it? Well, again, back to those extremes where we go from a lot of rainfall or tremendous rainfall to short, intense dry periods. So when we think about, you know, do we have catchments and dams and ponds that are available during those seasons where we're, you know, those growing seasons where we're seeing less of that water, uh, again, because of the Overall trends match wetter off-season, traditional off-season, but flat to drier trends during the summertime. So uh, if, if we're not storing that water when we're getting too much in spring, let it not just damper you know our planting windows, let's then have that water available to use on a growing crop. What type of dam catchments, irrigation systems, these types of things, I think all come into play.
0: Um, Final question: That is, um, from a global perspective, you talked about today the projections. You know, see, you know, corn, for example, dropping six to twenty-four percent. Wheat, a different crop, obviously, uh, increasing eight to. 18 percent. From a national perspective, from a global perspective, what do farmers and the representatives need to be thinking about, you know, as we move forward?
1: Yeah, so I think the large picture is uh, obviously those losses and gains are are not site-specific, but we know the ultimate outcomes will be, right? There are, there are opportunities for certain locations, I think, uh, you know, across a lot of the Canadian provinces that are probably prime to to have more of the beneficial side from, say, crop expansion of corn or or soy or or other crops, whereas parts of, uh, say, you know, South Central U.S., for instance, will probably see a lot less of of those traditional crops. So that shift toward the north and west. So I think that that is a buffering factor, right? Those are, I think, encourage farmers across Canada to think about, um, you know, uh, what opportunities that buffer really provides? Are there opportunities to grow different crops and new crops that you that maybe your, your father and grandfathers weren't growing as an opportunity to kind of offset? And again, these are models. Uh, they're imperfect tools. The crop models, there's a lot of them, right? But when we look globally, you know, how, how can we combat some of, um, you know, that growing need, obviously, for food with a changing climate? And of course, that's a whole nother huge topic when we think about food security and and, and kind of uh, the impacts from climate change. Well,
0: we'll catch up with you on another day, Aaron, to have that conversation. Appreciate your insights today. Great presentation. Uh, Thank you so much.